But we use Daniel as our uh, character from the Old Testament. And uh, look at Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6 in verse 10. It says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knee, knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he did aforetime. Now we're not told what Daniel prayed, only that he did pray. It's a fact that he prayed. Rather than the content of his prayer, it's significant uh, of is praying. Now, that's a distinction that Daniel shares with someone else. Uh, Saul of Tarsus. Over in Acts 9 and 11, it says, And the Lord said unto him, that is, Ananias, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. There's no reference to the burden of his prayer, or in his case, also the fact that he prays is the focal point upon the whole story. Uh, Saul's praying indicated that he had a change of heart. Uh, and it was a total change. Change of heart, change of life, change of his allegiance, and that was to have a tremendous consequence for all of Christianity. Now, Daniel's praying shows us a steadfast tenacity of prayer. As we're using the word obstinate, it's an obstinate refusal to desert his faith, even during a time in the royal court of King Darius. It was during this time of trial and captivity when there was no temple or altar, and yet he engaged in private prayer, and he held on, and he held out. So the time when the Israelites could have lost their faith unless someone like Daniel was willing against all odds and tremendous temptation to keep his faith, he was among a handful that guarded with their lives the heritage of Abraham, Moses, Samuel, David, and others for the good of the future generations. And I believe even Christianity is indebted beyond words to a man like Daniel who, when he could have easily given in to the worldly influence around him, and yet he continued to be in prayer. It says here, his windows being open in the chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. And I want us to see the lesson here by way of three windows. First one is the window of time. The window of time. It tells us here that the windows of his house were open. And we note this is a, a significant detail in this story. It's the object that God uses to teach us a valuable lesson. 
In other places, other objects would be used. But in this instance, or excuse me, for uh, let me give you a, a, an illustration of other ins, uh, places. Uh, there was the shepherd's rod of Moses. Uh, there was the sling and the five s smooth stones of David. Uh, there was a boy's lunch in the New Testament. Uh, there was a widow's mite, an alabaster cruise, a cock crowing, a kiss in the, in the garden, a stone rolled away from a tomb, among other little things, little details that are very important in various places in Scripture, but they have big meanings. Daniel's open window is a window into which we can look and get a glimpse of a very significant time in history of the nation of Israel and, it and fulfilling God's plan throughout the ages. Now, in regard to Daniel's window, we find that Daniel simply continued to do in the day of crisis what his habit was to do. And his consistency gave him courage, and it should give us courage as well. Now notice what was taking place during this window of time. Notice the position of Daniel. Go back to verse 1 and 2. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might have accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. At this time, the kingdom of Babylon was, has been removed from a number one spot in the world power. Instead of Babylon, there's the Medo-Persian Empire over which Darius is the ruler. And although this is a different empire than previously spoken of in the book of Daniel, we still find Daniel in a position of importance under Darius, who was a Mede. Nebuchadnezzar's reign was autocratic and absolute. He did not share authority with anyone. But Darius, on the other hand, had 120 princes who shared the responsibility and leadership with him. And over this group... Darius placed three presidents who served as officers between the princes and the king. And so there was a distribution of responsibility and leadership. We're told that these three presidents, Daniel being one of them, held their position so that the king should have no damage. Now that suggests that these presidents had to uh, prevent the princes the 120 princes, from stealing from or undermining the king in any way. Daniel was one of three, and he probably was a man about 80 years of age at this time. Notice verse 3. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and the princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king fought to set him over the whole realm. Daniel not only had seniority, but he had superiority. It says here that he had an excellent spirit. That means Daniel was a spirit-filled man. Uh, the king had such a confidence in him that he placed Daniel next to himself in position and power. So that leads us to the plot 
to destroy Daniel, verse 4. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. So one thing is sure. When you find yourself the number one man in any position, doesn't matter where it's at, it's in a church or politics or school, even in the home, you're in you are the one who will be watched by those who may have a jealous spirit. There's a flaw in your life, they're going to find it. They're going to discover your weak spot. And they're going to try to use it against you. Now Daniel was a, had a remarkable life. These men could not find anything in this man's character or in his past life that they could seize upon and make something out of it been many a politician who wished he had lived and acted a little differently as well. And that no doubt could be said of all of us, mankind in general. I think, I can think of some things I wish I'd never done. Can't you? There's times in our life we did things we wished we never had done. But today, a child of God ought to live so that the charges that inevitably will level against them would be a lie. You cannot keep people from talking about you, but you, you can live as to make them liars when they do talk about you. Philippians 2.15 says that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. That was Paul. Paul's testimony. Acts 24, 16, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. In other words, Paul would lie, uh, lie down at night, he would go to sleep, and he didn't have to lay there awake with a bad conscience. Someone has said that a conscience is something only a good man can enjoy. Notice here, verse 5. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find him it against him concerning the law of his God. Now, Daniel was certainly different. God had made his people different. And when he was first brought to the court of Nebuchadnezzar as a boy slave, he had asked for a different diet, as you recall. And from then on, the life of Daniel was different, and these men were aware of that. So they said, if we're going to find something wrong, anything wrong, we're going to have to find it in his religion. And when they said wrong, they meant something they could accuse him of before the king. Now, the only vulnerable spot in Daniel, as the politicians saw it, was his religion. This was certainly the case of Daniel's good being evil spoken of. They knew that Daniel was faithful to God and was dependent upon him, and his prayer life was something that was well known. Therefore, they're going to have to draw a conflict between the king and Daniel's religion. Look at verse 6. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius lived forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes and the counselors and the captains have consulted together 
to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. So here's the plot. The plot of the presidents and the princes, the petty politicians. It was a subtle plot. King Darius was a good man. Uh, this is obvious from secular history. I think it's an implication of the book of Daniel, but Darius had a vulnerable spot, and he was a vain person. Uh, he yielded to flattery. These men were flattering Darius, and he yielded to it. He said, my, this is great. So he drafted a bill, made it a law, elevated himself to a position of deity, and prayer was to be offered only to him. Verse 8. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing, that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth it not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. So again here, Darius is yielding to his weakness, and the decree has gone out, signed by the king, and it cannot be changed. That's the law of the Medes and the Persians. Uh, the king himself couldn't change it after it was passed. So this is the difficult problem, the trouble that we find Daniel in. This was the window of time that places Daniel in a difficult situation. Secondly, we have the window that is open. Again, we'll read verse 10. We read it earlier, but notice verse 10. And when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Now, I want you to notice here, I want to draw attention to this object lesson from Daniel that his window was open. There's a number of things that this window might teach us. First of all, it's a window of vision. This window looked out across the broad Euphrates River over the rolling plains of one of the most fertile valleys in the world. And yet it was not for the view that it was opened. Because some 500 miles to the southwest was Jerusalem, and although Daniel had risen to a place of prominence in a heathen land, he was still a captive in spirit, an exile, whose heart was in his homeland, and his soul had his roots deep in the sacred things of his home, the home of God's people. And he remembered the God of Israel. Even though he was successful, he was influential in a heathen land. So the window is open toward home, and he longed to be there. And though uh, through that window, he also saw immediate the here and now of Babylon, <clears throat> and even though it was a land of great power and wealth, he knew it paled in light of God's future and God's purpose. <clears throat> it was a window of vision. Secondly, it was a window of escape. Now, it was not a window that he, in reality, would escape. He wasn't trying to uh, find a place, to, a way to get out of his uh, place he, he lived. 
He wasn't trying to free himself as being a captive of a heathen land. But in a very real sense, I believe Daniel found relief or escape, freedom of spirit and victory in this room of his. And we could say that this open window represents his refusal to succumb to his surroundings and the cares of his position. One old preacher was not very popular with the king in England said, a cell with a window is a sitting room. Every great soul that has triumphed over temptation and persecution has somewhere a secret window of escape or an opening towards God where they found a way to deal with their situation, a way to deal with the trouble. So it's a window of vision, it's a window of escape, and then it's a window of hope. Daniel had in mind the return and restoration of God's people. He was looking for God's people to go back to their own land, and, and uh, that helped him. Uh, that helped sustain him in his exile. He believed in the future, and, and it, it would not always be in Babylon and in captivity. He believed that there would be deliverance and a, a reemergence of the shattered nation the, that, uh, according to the promise of God. That's why it was important for him to keep his faith. If Daniel ever had his days of doubts, I think the window must have been closed. But Daniel believed God, and he believed that the day would come when all the might and glory of Babylon would become a fading memory. And so the open window symbolized the open future, the hope that God would yet redeem his people. And we're told that Daniel gave thanks. Daniel was thankful to God even in his captivity, and his window, open window was a window of hope. But then it was also a window of witness. Now, I believe Daniel was known by his neighbors and his enemies, and his window marked him out. It gave his rivals their opportunity of evil. Uh, the open window was a window of witness declaring to all who would pass by, here lives a patriot. It distinguished one who owed allegiance to other laws than Babylon's uh, with a birthright in another city, someone of another heritage, and someone who was promised to a higher king. So those who desired to ruin Daniel understood very well that his first loyalty was not to King Darius, but he was faithful to another, and Daniel was not afraid to uh, let this be known. He, was, he did not hide his faith. I wonder, do people know our allegiance to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? Do others, whether they be friends or just acquaintances, see us faithful to our Lord and Savior? You know, it's not necessarily something we say. It's not just telling others what we believe or the principles we hold. Often we find that actions speak louder than words, right? And sometimes we have to know when to be quiet. If in our lives there is a window open on an eternal world, a place of vision, a way of spiritual escape, an outlook of unquenchable hope, then that window will be a window of witness. People will know where our love and our loyalty lies. 
and they will come to understand the source of our peace. So we have a window of time. We have a window that was open. And then thirdly, we have the window of a prayer room. Again, this window is not just any window. Although it could have been in any room where Daniel made it a habit to pray. It could have been his living room. I don't know. It could have been his kitchen or his bedroom. Nevertheless, it was his prayer room where he prayed on a regular basis. It says there, as he did aforetime. Now that's a very impressive phrase in this story. Uh, it actually is more impressive than the attempts of the king to undo the law that he was tricked into making. Uh, it's more impressive than the cool courage that Daniel had in the den of lions, or the happy ending even. We get the idea that a, a night in the den of lions meant comparatively little, or at any rate, nothing new to a man of faith and integrity who had survived captivity, the advance to power during the pressures and the tensions and the threats and the sin and the corruption of the Babylonian court. It's Daniel's unbending obstinacy of faith that makes him one of the great men of the Bible. His window becomes a symbol of resistance to all ungodliness and compromise. His success and his increased dignity as the president in the king's court could have closed that window. The plots and those who hated him for being the king's favorite could have closed that window. All kinds of pressures, good and bad, could have closed that window. The window to Daniel's prayer room, but it didn't. Put yourself in his place. Would you continue to be faithful if you were to be successful and rise to a position of prominence? Would you continue to be faithful if persecution and hateful threats were made on your life? Daniel is faithful and he continues to pray. He defies all that would rob him of his close relationship with God. He refuses to be stifled by those who plot against him in the court of Babylon. He values his freedom higher than his position, his soul more precious than his life. That is spiritual obstinacy that preserved God's people during a time of exile. So we find here Daniel defied a heathen empire just to say his prayers. Again, I wonder if we are willing to be seen faithful in prayer. I believe it's a real testimony, perhaps even to children, to find sometimes they interrupt their parents in prayer. I believe I can remember a time when I interrupted my parents when they were praying. I believe it's a testimony for your neighbors, perhaps, to see you heading for the prayer meeting on Wednesday night with your Bible. And yet we have seen all kinds of things that keep people from being faithful to prayer and prayer meeting. In many churches, the midweek prayer meeting has disappeared. Midweek prayer meeting has given away to clubs and ball games and a host of other activities. Now, if we notice verse 11, it says that these men found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. I think that's a real compliment. This man had a reputation of that uh, they ha had a feeling that 
he would not back down. Do we have a conviction about prayer? Or is it something we just take or leave? Whatever might come up that seems more important. Well, prayer signifies so many things, but this is not the least in importance. It's a window on a spiritual world. It provides an outlook of vision above and beyond the realm of time and sense and sin, an outlet of escape from care and circling temptation, an outreach of hope in the dark, frustrating days, an outshining of witness to a shadowed, burdened world, an outburst or outthrust, excuse me, of defiance in the name of the Lord that says, come what may, I'm going to be faithful to God. And we remember in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, it says that men ought always to prayer and not to, what? Faint. Jesus said there would be times that offenses would come, but we ought to be always willing to stay with it and continue to pray. And that was Daniel's secret, to meet the pressures of the world, not merely with a brave face, but with a praying heart to achieve that spiritual obstinacy which the world cannot understand or cannot overthrow. Daniel gives us a wonderful lesson here. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity this evening to look at uh, perhaps a very familiar story, but be reminded again of Daniel's life and his faithfulness to you. Help us to be more faithful. Help us to dare to be a Daniel and not to be afraid to be seen praying. Help us to be faithful in our desire to see prayer answered and help us to be faithful to come to our prayer meetings so that we can see you working in our church and in our families, in our community, and in our country and around the world. Think of our missionaries and Lord, they need our prayers. And we pray, Lord, that we'll be faithful. Jesus' name, amen.